good morning. Um, let's pray. I, I got in from Nashville uh, last night. And yeah, I just want to start in prayer and then we'll get into the sermon. God, uh, thank you for this group. Thank you for just another day to experience you, to be with our families, to have a day of even Sabbath and rest. Um, I pray that you would use this time, just, yeah, a message I haven't ever got to share on, and I pray that would you speak through me in a way that just, yeah, connects to each person here in some way. Uh, the topic that we're going to address is just something that, again, could try to steal our joy and our, our identity, our life, our peace. Um, it could rob uh, our family. It could rob our future. Um, and so, God, I just pray would you give us eyes to see and ears to hear like you do? Um, the goodness of what you've done in our life as well as the, the um, yeah, just all the beauty of what you've blessed us with. Um, we're thankful for you. We need you. And uh, we wouldn't be who we are and the best of who we are without you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so um, any of you guys afraid to speak? or afraid of, they say it's the number one fear in America. Uh, my biggest fear is sharks, actually, but somehow number one is, a, like, if I said, hey, you got to come up here and speak, anyone like, dude, no, I do not want to do that. Raise your hands, anyone. Okay, anyone like love speaking? Front row, the front row. <laughs> okay. Um, you know, for me, one of the most, it was an experience where I, I kind of got into speaking uh, maybe around college, but uh, it takes years to kind of find your voice. Uh, a lot of speaking is actually, I would say, becoming confident in who you are, but also more so becoming comfortable with who you're not. Uh, when you start speaking, you actually really compare yourself to a lot of other speakers. I don't know if y'all ever heard of Matt Chandler, but I'm from Dallas, and I don't know, I started thinking, have, have y'all heard of Matt Chandler? Um, He's kind of shouts when he preaches like, the gospel is this, or you guys have uh, David Platt here. He's like, always on the verge of tears when he's, I'm like, man, he's got so much angst. Or Francis Chan, I always felt like that dude preaches in a way. Y'all know Francis Chan, he's always like, uh, I just don't know. I, I, I feel like, uh, I just feel like God is right here and we're here and, and we're supposed to do this and, and we're not. And, and I just want us to, can we, can we get here, y'all? And I, We're going to be in the heaven one day and the angels are going to be like, holy, holy, holy. And he's so good at preaching. If you're a Christian, you heard him speak. You hear him start preaching with that angst and you're like, yeah, I don't know if I'm a Christian, actually. Um, this dude loves God a lot. Like, and you, in my early days, comparing a lot to these other speakers, these other leaders. And, and anyway, eventually you start, again, becoming confident in who you are and especially comfortable with who you're not. And a couple of years ago, maybe about through, right before the pandemic, I got to speak on the largest stage um, I've ever been invited to. It was about 75,000 people, actually. It was, uh, there's not a church that's big enough, at least in America, to, to have that many people. It was at a NASCAR stadium in this evangelistic event, and uh, I was going to be the next-gen speaker. I think I was the youngest speaker on the lineup. I'm almost sure I was the long, youngest speaker on the lineup until two days before, as I'm praying, I'm thinking, man, this is, this is a big deal, like, and I want my generation to know the Lord, and God, I'm the youngest there. I want to represent well and, and share well there. And I'm preparing my message. Two days before, I get an email saying, hey, 
So thankful you're going to speak at our uh, gathering, but we actually are going to switch you to doing a 15-minute message to doing a 15-minute panel. We want to add another next-gen leader onto the panel with you. Is that okay? And you, as a Christian, you have to say yes. Um, so I'm like, yeah, of course, that's what I want to do. Um, that's what I've been preparing for. Um, so I say, of course, uh, that I'd love to do that. And they bring on the other guy. I'm like, who's the other next-gen leader? I, I bet I know him. Um, and I didn't. I didn't know him. I met him the day of, the morning of, and we're going up. We get to talk for a couple minutes, and I find out I'm 29 years old. Um, this kid's 19 years old. And we go up, and I only get about three minutes to talk to them before we go up, and they ask us the question. And they start with me. Again, I have more experience. And they say, hey, why is it important to reach the next generation, and how can we do that? And so I feel like I give a great answer. I mean, just some gold nuggets in there of what I'm sharing. But then they let him share. And I'll say, this kid, like, kind of a, not very different than me, but man, he did have a spiritual like, authority and confidence that you could tell he had been with the Lord. Uh, and, but one of the things he says right in the beginning, is like, hey, before I even answer this question, how do we reach the next generation and how, and why is it important to, I just want to clarify something. Um, the next generation we always focus on, for years I've heard the word millennials. I hear it all the time. You guys heard that, top, that topic, it's like millennials, skinny jeans, participation trophies, blah, 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 all the same stuff. Um, the participation trophies uh, you guys gave us. And so I, it's always the same junk that they say. And it was, for 10 or 15 years, they talked about millennials forever, or the Y generation. And he just said, look, I love talking about those generations, but the next generation is Gen Z. There's, there was the Xer generation, the Boomer generation before them, then Gen Y or Millennials, and now Gen Z, if you, if you didn't know. And he's like, Gen Z is the next generation. And then he said this line, and he said, as much as I love older generations like Grant and, and him and his generation, I think we got to start focusing on the actual next generation. And I, 29 years old, am like, did this guy for real just call me an old man? I'm not even 30, and I'm getting already, like, called the old guy in the room. I was the next-gen speaker. Now I got this 10-year-old younger guy. And I think, I bet, this is what Saul felt like whenever he came back into Israel with David, where I was like, everything was good. When we defeated Goliath, like the Goliath is taunting Israel, and this young guy comes up, and I mean, Saul doesn't give credit for actually empowering a young leader to have a huge responsibility. Often this generation's dying to be a part of something bigger than themselves, and, and if the church doesn't give it to them, they'll go outside of the church and they'll start a business or be entrepreneur or join any cause they can find. Like, they want to do something significant, and unfortunately, sometimes we don't give big responsibilities in the church warranted because even in the workplace, I see it more. They'll be like, hey, you, if you're young, you got you to gotta pay your dues. You got to, uh, I think it's earn your stripes. You got to like, you got to work hard and take some licks to get to big responsibilities. And what I love about Saul is he actually gambled big time. And if you've ever had an older person believe in you and invest in you and put their neck on the line for you, anyone have someone like that when they were young in college that like, hey, I'm going to trust you with this. 
And it was like a big responsibility and it kind of matured you and grew you. Anyone have anyone like that? I would run through a wall for those people that did that. And in my life, in my upbringing, anyway, Saul does that for David where he's like, hey man, I, I just think if I really humanize this story, Saul sees this kid and he's like, I'm inside, I, I would have been like, okay, all, wait, so you're only here because you're bringing food for your brothers? Red flag. You're not actually a warrior? Red flag. Big red flag is this one. I, don't I know, you're the kid that plays music for me, right? You know this guy's like huge, right? Huge, huge, huge red flag. You know if you lose, all of Israel has to serve the Philistines. You know how big of the opportunity and responsibility you're taking on. And then he says he will do it. He actually gambles, puts his neck on the line, and allows the young person to do this. And then another red flag is like, okay, now let's put some armor on because we're going to war and going to battle. And he's like, no, no, this is such a Gen Z thing. Yeah, the little young, youngins over here that do this, the young punks, can I call them that now that I'm the old guy? Is these, these uh, out of the, I am, uh, I always called older people chronologically superior people. And so now that I am, uh, I'll be like, dude, you don't even want to wear armor against him? It's like, he allowed him to go out with a huge responsibility and do it in a fresh way, which I think we're at in the church today where we kind of need to empower the next generation. So I actually love the first half of the story with, with Saul. I don't think he gets credit for doing some really great things that are pretty pioneering. Um, the only time I would see such big responsibilities given to young people where it's like the, the, the whole nation or I would even say the world hinged on it was actually Jesus hinging everything on the next generation through his disciples, these mostly young single guys, and empowering them to take the Gospels without him for the rest of the world to know him and know the Gospel. A huge responsibility on some young people. But, unfortunately, in this case, where God, or sorry, Jesus would say, hey, you will do greater things, and that gave him joy to say, you will do greater things than what you're seeing me do today. And he wanted the next generation to do that. And he didn't compare himself. He wanted that. Uh, Saul, as soon as they got back, there's this text. It's in 1 Samuel 18.7. And it says, as they're walking in, back from this battle, that's a huge battle. Goliath had been taunting them for weeks. And finally, there is a victor in a very like God story way. I mean, a story so big that even people outside of the church almost all know the David and Goliath story. So this should be a day of victory which quickly turns of, and is ruined by, by this one thing that happens is uh, they're coming in and it says, and the women sang to one another as they celebrated, Saul has struck down his thousands and David his 10,000. I just want to comment two things because it, it's going to say, and Saul was very angry and the saying displeased him. We're going to talk about comparison today. That's what this sermon is around. Um, I think it's one of the most subtle things that actually is killing our joy, our peace, our, our, I think it could kill our identity, our family, our future. Um, and in this case, Saul, huge victory, like massive victory, so big that the city is coming out. I mean, I, I see Saul and I'm like, dude, how are you mad? I flew into Denver, uh, sorry, I flew into DC last night. There was not even one girl singing a song for me coming in this city. Not one. I didn't even get a kind of like, oh, Grant's going to preach to a hundred or a thousand or whatever. It was like, no songs for me. You're getting songs, Saul. The only thing you don't like is that he's getting more. 
And, and I'll just tell you this. One of the quickest ways to ruin a good thing, because that was a day of victory, one of the quickest ways to ruin a good thing is to quickly compare it to something else. Compare it to someone else. Have you guys ever had it where it's like, man, this feels like a good day. And then you get on social media and you're like, dang, they're having a better day. It's, it's this tension that we live in in a generation that has access to comparison to all kinds of people and all kinds of strangers. And it said, and Saul was very angry and this saying displeased him. They have ascribed to David 10,000 and to me they have ascribed thousands. This is a big line to me. And what more can they have but the kingdom? What more can he have but the kingdom? This is a really at the heart of the problem is that he thinks it's his kingdom. I would say that comparison at the root of comparison is this belief that we are not getting what we deserve, but somebody else is. I think the root of comparison is that this belief, we aren't getting what we deserve, but somebody else is. I also want to comment, I think the word deserve doesn't really have a place for us as Christians anymore. Uh, If you really think about what we deserve, to really think that through, before Christ, we deserved... I mean, because of our sin, wrath, we, des- we, we deserved hell. It was because of what Jesus did, his righteousness, his faithfulness, that we, we have access to heaven. It's, it's uh, the difference between mercy and grace. Like, mercy is not getting what you deserve. So we didn't get hell. Grace is getting what we don't deserve, despite what we have done. Like, that's the reality of deserve. So if we see someone that we think they deserve, we deserve that, or someone else is getting what I deserve. I think the, the problem with Saul is he's saying, what else can he have but the kingdom? But the reality is the kingdom's not yours. It wasn't your kingdom. This kingdom was given. Like so many things in our lives that we can start taking for granted or even feel like we're entitled to. And it starts to have, like lodge into our heart and really disrupt things when others get a little bit more. Um, and so... I want to pause just real quick, and I would tell y'all one thing before we go into this message about comparison is I want to try to personalize it as much as possible and help as much as possible, is I would, uh, I'm going to pray just real quick and just uh, then share. Is like, God, would you just uh, help us identify, each of us here, would you help us identify what are the areas that we compare ourselves in, who are the kind of people we compare ourselves to, who, if we even know individuals we compare ourselves to, but would you, your spirit can reveal and highlight in ways that even our mind and our best wisdom can't. And so for our good and for our health, would you show us, God? And so, amen, um, is that I would say, y'all, identify who is it or what is it that you find your heart or your mind regularly comparing yourself to. Um, because it's this subtle thing, but I think it's so much bigger than we were actually treating it. And I want to, I'll get into that in a second. But here's just a couple prompts to help you think through. Okay, maybe I struggle with a little bit of comparison more than I think. Uh, some of us can compare our looks to each other or to other people. Um, uh, our image, our beauty, the way we are seen. Uh, is there anyone here that would be honest? Uh, we already know, so you could just raise your hand. But is anyone else here like me who has a face? that just looks really angry if it's not smiling. Like, those eyebrows that just, man, I'm like, gosh, I look so mad if I'm not smiling. Like, I, I smiled more so that I don't look mad. Um, anyone have a face like that? 
there's more people than that. But I see it. You, we see it. Like, you don't have to be honest, but we see, like, you're on, it's there on your face. Like, it's what we see. Um, We can compare our giftings and our talents. Some people have natural abilities and things that we do and we love, and it just comes good, easy for them. Like, uh, I just recently started playing golf. I, I, I'm actually been forced into playing golf. I don't, Everyone says it's hard. I, I play twice now. The guy who keeps trying to force me is a billion times better than me. And I don't know if he comes to feel even just a little percentage better than he already is, because then he compares himself to me. But uh, some people just, he's so naturally good. There are people we know that are just naturally gifted at things that we need to do in our career, or we just love to do, and it just comes so easy for some other people. Sometimes we can compare our personality, certain personalities in our industries or in our life or in our friend groups that just, I'm like, man, if I wish it came this easy or I, people responded to me like this. My wife is a very disarming pe- person. Like, she enters a room. She, she always calls people a friend. When I first dated her, we went to CeCe's Pizza for whatever reason. And um, <laughs> y'all remember when CeCe's used to go there, like, because it was a reward for, like, winning a football game? And then you get to, I guess, after college, it's like, never, ever go there again. It went from a reward to, like, a death sentence, apparently. Um, but I remember going there, and she wanted a certain pizza, and she's like, hey, friend could I get this? And I'm like, I have never had a personality that would call a stranger friend. Um, but I was like, that's good. I mean, it works. That person's like, oh yeah, for sure. Um, certain personalities that are great. There's uh, financial upbringing. Some of us compare. It's like, man, if I would have grown up this way or that way or with these opportunities uh, or my family set me up like this, even if I would have grew up with a family, I remember for me as a new believer and not having a strong Christian family, I was like, man, my, all my Christian friends had such intentional fathers. Like, I wish I had a dad that was like that or did this. We compare our upbringing, our financial reality today, and the opportunities we can provide our kids. We can compare our marriage. Um, we can compare our spouse, where it's like, I see this marriage. I always thought I would have a marriage like this marriage. And we're lying to ourselves, but we don't think that each time this happens, that it's not altering our heart and our mind and especially our joy and our peace, right? Are, you, are y'all with me, right? Um, and then lastly, I don't have kids, but I have two little kids that moved in with me, a four-year-old and a six-year-old. And I'm learning this as a parent. I never knew this. Not, I'm not a parent, but like I'm, they're with me all the time. They're my brother's kids. He lives with us too, but there's several days me and my wife take these kids and to, we took them to Awana's. I skipped like baby season straight to like first day of school was this week. And it was kind of cool. I was like, I, I loved skipping the baby season. Um, they, can, they can walk. They can go get, hey, you want a water? Go, go to the fridge. Like, uh, <laughs> and sometimes the four-year-old's like, I can't. So I'm like, dude, yes, you can. Um, let me show you how to open a water bottle. Okay, so now I'm like going, I'm taking the Awana's, and I'm like, oh, man, yeah, these kids are... Or I get on a plane with them. My gosh, I was like, never be the parent. But you don't control what your kids are like on the plane. You're like, oh, I'm that parent with these kids. I'm like, want to like put something on their mouth? Shut up. You're embarrassing me. Like, be the good kids. Like, and now I'm like, oh, it just starts again. It's like more opportunities to compare. Now I'm comparing my kid and all their personalities, gifting, looks, financial upbringing, what their opportunities, all these things like does it ever end? Can some of the more chronologically superior tell me, does it ever end? No. Okay. Let's just pray. Lord, it doesn't end. But there will be a day when you come. 
Um, there's this thing we have right now, clearly. If it doesn't end, I saw a study. It said after the pandemic, there's this new disorder that it says about, like, I'd say uh, give or take 90% to uh, 100% of you guys have. And it's this disorder. You guys are familiar with it, but I don't know if you realize over the pandemic, it's kind of increased a lot. Have you ever heard? I'm sure you have heard of OCD, right? OCD. You have it. And it's apparently a study showing that almost all of us now have it during the pandemic in subtle ways or major ways. This OCD um, obsessive comparison disorder uh, in our soul of obsessively comparing ourselves to others. And it's only worse because of social media, as you guys know, we can compare all the time. Uh, Keeping up with the Jones, you guys heard that phrase before? I'm from Dallas, Texas. There's a guy that has the last name Jones. His name's Jerry Jones. Um, He's actually a very wealthy man. He's a man you would try to keep up with, if you will. So I always thought that phrase was funny in Dallas. And it was this phrase that there's someone ahead of you that you're trying to always keep up with that has something a little bit more. Um, And that's really a lot of what comparison is, is just wanting a little bit more. Uh, It's just more, more, more of this. It's it's never satisfied. Um, And well, the problem is it used to be back in like, let's say the seven, before internet, comparison was limited to a lot more at least to your neighbor down the street and they have a new car or they just put a pool in the backyard and man, we don't have a pool or, oh, their kids, uh, they're just so excited in the front yard playing with our kids, but they got these new bikes and now our kids want these bikes, but we don't financially have the ability to get those bikes or they got a new, oh, they got a car right at 16. We can't do that for our kids. It's comparing to, oh, they look so happy, or they're sharing about this or that, or their yard's just, I haven't got old enough to care about my yard yet. Um, I guess I know it's coming. Um, But uh, all of that, we just start finding even creative ways to compare a green egg. How many of y'all have husbands that like to grill? I I haven't haven't gotten old enough to get into the Kragers, Stegers. Traegers. Yeah, the wives know. And the Traegers and the eggs. Comparing all the time, OCD, obsessive comparison disorder. But ironically, because of social media, now it's not just comparing to your neighbors. Now it's comparing to people all over the world, your friends, your strangers, celebrities, and not only to more people, to random things you didn't even compare to. Like you could see what they ate for lunch now. You could see what vacation they're on. You could see, oh, I never would have known your vacation home was this nice or this, your vacations were this elaborate, but it's like so many things. Y'all get it? It's almost overwhelming me even talking. It's like, okay, shut up. We, we get it, right? It's a problem. And what I want to talk through is how do we kill it? How do we not just get off the internet and think that's going to fix it? Because the internet didn't invent comparison. It only accelerated it. Almost all sermons, and sorry, almost all books I ever have seen on comparison, it's almost half of the time is like, get off your phone, which I encourage highly to have times to get off your phone. Sabbath is there for a reason. It's one of the only commandments we just so easily violate. Um, We would never be like, hey, let's go rob a bank, or let's go uh, have an affair, or let's go murder someone, but easily be like, oh, yeah, sure, you want to hang out today uh, or do this work or whatever? Yeah, I'm supposed to Sabbath, but sure, what, yeah, whatever. Um, no one else does it, so let's just do it. Uh, it's the only one we're just like, yeah, just we all do it, so let's. 
there's a reason it's there, is to, to check out. Some people, uh, one of my friends uh, says, you should always take one hour a day off, like especially social media, one hour a day off, one week a month off, one month a year off. Um, but just to have like a, th- a rhythm of like getting off and, and resetting and, and allowing God and our friends and our community to remind us who we are. Uh, but again, the internet did not invent it. It only accelerated it. The scriptures are actually full of stories of comparison. Um, and why I want to share this is because I think we treat comparison like it's a bad habit when it's actually a cancer to our soul. Like, I think we try to manage it instead of crucify it. It's kind of like we treat comparison like a bad habit, like biting our nails or I shouldn't eat that Twinkie or like I shouldn't, I don't know, stay up this late or it's like a bad habit. And it's more than that, y'all. Like comparison is throughout history and in the scriptures and in our personal life today impacting our soul impacting our relationships, impacting us being at our best, what God designed us to be, when we walk in a manner worthy of the calling in which he's called us to, Ephesians 4.1. Um, and I just want to point out, I mean, it's not the internet. It's, it's, it's throughout history. You know, Cain killed Abel because God favored his offering more than his. Jacob and Esau's relationship was severed because of their jealousy of one another. Um, I had someone come up afterwards and say, you know, my, my brother, at the first service, he said, my brother confessed to me a couple weeks ago that the reason we've always had somewhat of a distant relationship is he's always compared himself to me since childhood. And I, I think, man, I, I, how many families are broken or how much time is wasted and, and joy is not had because of stuff in comparison that even was birthed in childhood that then we allow it to continue in adulthood rather than say, I'm killing comparison. I'm not managing it. I'm not kind of dealing with it. I'm killing it. Because uh, it makes so much bigger of an impact than biting our nails. It's a cancer to our joy. Um, Joseph was abandoned by his brothers because he had more favor with their father. The Israelites, they begged for a king because they started comparing themselves to the Egyptians who had one. Saul tried to murder David because he got more praise from Israel than him. Martha criticized Mary because of the way she embraced Jesus when they hosted him. The Pharisees killed Jesus. They compared himself to Jesus and killed him because he was seen as a stronger spiritual authority and teacher than them. Even the disciples compared themselves to each other when they asked the question, who is the greatest among us? Even the disciples, while walking with Jesus, compared themselves. And then lastly, Satan fell from heaven when he compared himself to God and is potentially probably jealous of even man and the grace that we have, that he has so disliked us that he's trying to steal, kill, and destroy us. And one of the biggest subtle ways that I think it's in our heart, again, is comparison. So what do we do? Like, how do we fix this? How do we, how do we respond to this, this uh, what can seem like a distraction, um, but it's so much bigger than that. It's a distraction that can lead to defeat. And so let me tell you a quick story, and then I want to give some, some practical steps. Um, and one of those practical steps is, I guess it's never going away. <laughs> that was, um, so a story quickly before I go into this is that um, when I was in college, 
I lived in this really difficult, uh, it's one of the worst zip codes in Dallas. My uh, church plant that I was a part of helping was in this really difficult zip code intentionally. And part of the mission was not just planting a church there, but living in the community amongst the people to try to transform it from the inside out. And I loved the mission, but it required us to move into a really dangerous neighborhood. And one night, I remember um, being on the, we were on the first floor apartment complex where uh, there, you know how on the outside they have like a patio and then bef- the second floor and third floor has like the balcony. And I, Mark, our living room was right there by that patio on the first floor. And we would always park our car because right there outside our patio was the parking, part of a parking lot. We would park there and then walk inside the, the screen door actually because it was the quickest way to get in. Um, and I remember being up late at night on a Friday or Saturday, probably about 1 a.m. in the morning. My two roommates, who were my best friends, uh, were asleep. And basically, I remember about 1 a.m. hearing the squeaking sound outside. So I peek out the window. It's 1 a.m. I'm like, what is that sound? And I see it's a man um, on a bicycle who's uh, riding up. And the squeaking stops right in front of my uh, window. He doesn't know I see him, but he stops the bicycle And I guess he was getting into his car uh, so because he gets off the bicycle and goes to the car in front of the bicycle, which is right in front of my house or my apartment. And he opens the tries to open the car door, but his I guess didn't have the keys or whatever, but the the car didn't open. So then he goes to the second car uh, next to it and tries to open that door. And I'm like, okay, most families have about two cars. So he's trying to open the second car for whatever reason, didn't have the keys for that car either. Then he goes to the third car, and I'm like, man, in this neighborhood, I don't think there's many people that have three cars, and why doesn't this guy have his keys anymore? And so I'm thinking, I think he's trying to take a car or trying to rob whatever is in the car. Well, the fifth car, I know, hey, soon he's about to get to the fifth car, which is my best friend's car, uh, is his truck. And I don't know if you guys... If you can, because I've had two experiences where I've almost got robbed or some, someone else tried to walk in to my house. Anyone ever had like an experience where it's like, oh, that was kind of scary. Someone like tried to break in or did break in. Anyone raise hands? It's, it's a really serious and it's like, especially if you're catching the act, there's a lot of different ways you respond. But I didn't, I've never respond, I've never experienced it yet. But something came over me where I'm like, especially since it was my best friend, I felt like, and he was asleep. I felt like I need to do something, so I just shout to my friends before running out the door. Um, I shout, hey, wake up, we're getting robbed. And I run out the, window, the, the like, door, and I forget I'm in my boxers, but there's no time to go back and change. Like, so I'm in my boxers, and again, I, I didn't have the strategy, I didn't have time to think through, I've never thought through, what should I do if someone tries to rob me? And should I prepare? Should I, I, don't, I didn't have a weapon, I didn't know if he had a weapon, but it's just all adrenaline. And for whatever reason, my, my mind thought, grab his bicycle and just like crash it into the ground as loud as you can. Because what came to mind was, you know, I, I do prepare for this because these videos scare me of like when a cougar is coming up to you or a bear out in the woods is apparently they say you're supposed to like get big, like as big as you can. And I thought this is my ghetto version of getting big is like, let me crash this thing into the ground and then shout as loud as I can. Hey, get out of here. And I just shout at him and it did startle him. I mean, he was not, he didn't see me come out. So when he hears a crash and it's his bicycle and this guy shouting, he's like, oh, and he didn't even get his bike. He just ran away. So 
he was trying to steal, and I actually earned a bike, I guess, from this situation. And he just runs, and my friends afterwards, my roommates, they wake up, they're coming out. What happened, dude? What are you doing? You're a boxers. And I'm like, uh, yo, this guy was trying to rob us. And they start laughing and stuff, because it's funny afterwards. But they're like, also, yo, he could have had a gun. He could have had a knife. He could have had something. I'm like, again, I didn't get to think. I just responded. Like, I want to defend this house. And I don't know if you guys have ever heard this quote, but I bet you have. It's probably the most famous quote about comparison. It's by, for whatever reason, Theodore Roosevelt said, comparison is the thief of all joy. Comparison is the thief of all joy. And when I see that quote, I, what I shifted away from is instead of treating comparison like a bad habit, I started treating it like a cancer to my joy. But especially I treat comparison in that strategy like, what would I do if someone truly was trying to rob me, if he was a thief? The enemy says he's trying to, the enemy is trying to steal, kill, and destroy. Steal, kill, and destroy. And I would ask you, do you see and do you treat comparison like a thief or do you treat it like a bad habit? Because if you treat it like a thief, I didn't know it was in me, but it was a response. And I would say that's probably how we should respond to comparison is in this strong manner of I'm going to war with it. I'm not going to manage it. I'm not going to pacify it. I'm going to crucify it because I see the impact it's having on my soul and it could impact my future and me being at my best and my wife getting my best, my kids getting my best, my future, my employees, all of it. And so here's a couple of things that I thought, okay, what do we do when someone tries to rob us? A couple of things we do is one, um, we would probably say real quickly, I would say we would shout out for help. You know, I told you, and shout out to the people there, because in the same way that I shouted to those friends and said, wake up, you're getting robbed. I want to shout to you guys, wake up, you're getting robbed. Like you're getting robbed. So what do we do is you would probably lock your doors. That's one of them. Um, You would lock your doors, which is, I would say is getting in the word regularly, like knowing what scriptures do you need to hear based on the comparisons that you have, the things that you compare yourself to, then maybe it's knowing like for me, I compare myself pretty often to like, oh, they're getting to do this and I'm getting to do that in calling and career. And so I remind myself the scriptures and every time Jesus defeated the enemy or responded to the enemy, especially in temptation before his ministry, he always responded in scripture. And for me, I always remind myself, I need to, Ephesians 4.1, I need to walk in a manner worthy of the calling in which I have been called. I don't need to walk in a manner worthy of the calling of someone else's calling. I don't need to run. Some people are running in a manner worthy of the calling in which someone else is calling. I see people doing a lot of things and exhausted because they're trying to keep up with who they're comparing themselves to. And they start doing extra things that wasn't designed for them, which creates exhaustion, which takes away their joy, takes away their best, takes away their peace. Um, so no, I would say locking your doors is defending your mind with the word of God. You would call 911. Maybe that means it is seeking counseling or professional help. Or, and it's, of course, more than comparison that counseling can do, but it's like unrooting certain things that's from our childhood that's impacting our today. And part of that is, cre- part of that is comparison now. Uh, we would call professionals come in and help. You would quickly tell your friends and family. Um, I told you guys and I prayed, God, would you identify who is it that we compare ourselves to? What is it that we compare ourselves to? Um, I would really encourage you I think one of the best things you can do is tell someone or one or two people that you love, that you trust, tell them that, like share with them, hey, I heard this sermon, it got me thinking, 
And I just, I just want to confess it to some people that love me. I know some of it's dumb. I know I shouldn't. I know I, I, God's blessed me, but I just want to share it. For whatever reason, the enemy's trying to get me here, um, and I just want to share it. Or maybe it's like, it is big. I've let it go for a long time, and it's really got a, a, almost a root of bitterness in my, in my heart, but I want to confess it. I want to give it away. Uh, the Bible says those who confess, like, God is, God is faithful to heal. Um, it's, a, it's a promise. You would, um, you might even, okay, you would cry for help. So you would cry for help is, I would just say prayer. I think three ways to pray. One, prayer is more than just getting things from God. Prayer creates intimacy with God. And intimacy with God affirms our identity from God. Um, There's a quote by Leonard Ravenhill where he says, those who are intimate with God will never be intimidated by man. And I think one of the best things you can do is remember that you are fearfully and wonderfully made. And Ephesians talks about how like, we, there's a perfect plan for us. And it is a different plan from others. We don't have the same plans. We don't have the same personalities. We don't have the same. There's a lot of differences, and that's beautiful. Um, in fact, I think unity is not everyone doing the same thing or being the same thing. Unity is everyone being different and doing different things in the same direction. That's what's more beautiful about unity. But we don't get to play that role if we keep trying to copy other people. Uh, another part to pray is, I would say, pray, pray for God to give you eyes to see and ears to hear. Um, I, always, I, always, I, I noticed one day that like, Jesus kept praying that over people while he was with us. And it's got to be more than just eyes to see and ears to hear because everyone he prayed that for mostly had eyes and mostly had ears. There's like a spiritual eyes and spiritual ears. And I would say, God, would you give me better spiritual eyes and spiritual ears to see the good that you have done for me, the good that you've done in me, the difference of me? Like, make me confident in who you are and confident in who I am, but also comfortable with who I'm not. And let me, let me have, like, be comfortable with Someone else that I love could be good at that. And other people on our team as kingdom children are good at that. But eyes to see. There's, uh, John Piper has a quote where he says something like, at any moment, at every day, there's probably about 10,000 things that God is doing for our good that we are totally unaware of. I, I'm praying, I want to know more of those things, God. Would you give me spiritual eyes? Because the more grateful I am is a stronger foundation that's going to be way harder for anyone to tempt me that I'm not getting God's best, um, or someone else is. And then third prayer, this is probably the scariest one, but y'all, it's also probably the most powerful one, is when you're crying for help to God is pray for the person or the people that you're comparing yourself to. Uh, I personally will want to ask God when I get to heaven and say, God, was it a trick when you told us to pray for our enemies? Because I think, my theory is that it's not so that we pray for our enemies and they're like, oh, finally they changed into a better person like I think they should be. I think, and I've noticed as I've prayed for people that are my enemies or I don't like or they really strongly don't like me or disagree with me, or I started, when I find myself starting to compare, I start praying for those people, is I think it's because it gives me way more compassion for them and way more love for them, way more patience for them. I start, I start thinking, I bet they're kind of this way because I, I start thinking about where are they coming from? And I'm like, I get why they feel that way. How can I help? 
Um, and I would say pray for those or whatever it is that you compare yourself to. And I promise there will start to become a more of a freedom from it because you want their good because you love them. In the same way you would like pray for your children. And I know it's scary. It's like, no, they don't deserve your prayers. And I'm saying, uh, you know, Augustine has a quote where he says, the root of bitterness is, is uh, sorry, maintaining bitterness is like drinking poison and hoping that the other person dies. It's like drinking poison and hoping they die. I would say, no, no, pray for them. Like, I, I'm not going to continue to drink this poison. I'm going to pray for their good. And it's not only for them, it's, it's for you as well. Um, so in finishing, I just want to go back to a couple postures too. If those are some practical things, what's some postures that free us from comparison? And I think one of them is, uh, Peter, uh, sorry, John the Baptist. John the Baptist had this, this posture of it's all about God. And I think it's, we've got to have that posture if we want to be free of comparison is John the Baptist is this big name guy. A lot of people are coming out to see him. And then he, He's so secure in who he is that he says, you think I'm great? The one coming after me, Jesus, I'm not even worthy to tie his, his sandals. Like, we have to have the posture that it's all about God. If we start feeling like we deserve and we're entitled to, that's the, the foundation kindling for comparison to run rampant in our heart. Another one I love, I don't think this dude gets any credit, and I love one of my favorite disciples is Andrew. You don't know much about Andrew. I don't know much about Andrew. But one thing I know about Andrew is Jesus meets him and immediately Andrew says, hey, wait one second, and basically goes to get Peter. He's like, you got to meet my brother. Introduces Jesus to Peter. And then you just only hear about Peter, basically. Like, you guys heard of Peter, right? You could tell me a lot of things about Peter. Tell me some stuff about Andrew. You don't know nothing about Andrew. This dude disappears after he introduces Peter, his brother, to Jesus. And I always think, man, it could have been easy for Peter, I mean, Andrew to be like, man, I introduced you to him, Jesus. Why are you doing so much with him? And I like to think, I hope to think I'll get to heaven. He's like, I love it. That's my brother. I, I don't care about whose name is raised. You know, uh, sometimes we're trying to raise God's name and we're hoping our name raises with it. But the reality is we're supposed to decrease so that he can increase. We don't care whose name gets raised as Christian leaders. We just want to raise God's name. And I like to think that Andrew's like, especially because I love him and he's my brother, I don't care as long as Jesus' name is raised. And then lastly, I think, what if Saul was secure? Like, how would that have impact the whole nation if Saul was secure? When they come back from, to that parade, they're like, hey, we now have a stronger team together I like to think as conjecture that Jonathan and Saul would have lived instead of died. If you know the scriptures well in the story that continues, they would go on to go to war and separate for many years. And eventually Jonathan and David would be in their own war without David and without David's army, and they would die in a, in a, in a battle. And I like to think they would have, could have been together and won those battles. Jonathan and David, sorry, Jonathan and Saul would have lived. Saul could have been like a mentor to that, uh, to David. Jonathan would have been a best friend to David. So when Bathsheba happened, when he got tempted to kill Uriah, Jonathan would be like, what are you doing? Like, I know you too well. I love you too well to let this happen. I like to think Uriah didn't have to die. I like to think Bathsheba didn't have to happen. I like to think that so many people in Israel suffered because of this comparison that seeped in. It seems subtle, but it's cancerous to our soul and maybe in probably the people around us. Um, and then lastly, I just want to credit Jonathan. Jonathan is the one who should have been more mad than Saul. They were about the same age. 
Saul says he's going to threaten the kingdom, which was going to be Jonathan's kingdom, but he wasn't a threat to Jonathan because Jonathan loved him. He wasn't a threat to Jonathan because Jonathan loved him. And I just think, how do we love the people that we compare ourselves to, pray for the people we compare ourselves to, and free ourselves from comparison so we can enjoy the best of what God has for us? Thank you. I want to pray real quick that God would just, again, reveal who that is, free us, and give us some practical next steps. God, with your spirit, would you just help us identify what are the rhythms, who are the people, maybe it's a group of people, maybe it's a certain situation, whatever we compare ourselves to, give us, give us spiritual eyes to see it, and then also give us, give us uh, the courage to confess it, give us the, the wisdom and the community around us to, to crucify it and to kill it, and God, just um, I just pray, yeah, over the next week, would you give each person here, a little bit of what a next step could look like, some people that they could come around and just, again, just share while it's maybe smaller, doesn't formed into something that it could be, God. Wherever stage we're at, God, we, we don't want to live in a managed state of comparison. We want to crucify it. And we know that it's never going to go away, that the enemy's going to continue to try to give us new things to compare. And so we are also going to continue to seek you and surrender to you and seek the scriptures and firm up our identity in your word and what you say about who we are. Would you free us, God? We need you. In Jesus' name, amen.